0: Radical Encounter, Radical Encounter, Radical Encounter. (laughs) Welcome to Radical Encounter, a series of casual conversations about serious resistance. This show is hosted by me, Sofia Verino, a social researcher and activist living in Berlin. And by me, Patricia Silva, a visual artist and writer based in New York City. This is Patricia in New York City, and today's encounter is with Buzz Slutsky. And yes, that's the real surname. Buzz is an American artist, writer, and curator who is really, really funny. Buzz's videos contain a kind of humor that is enjoyed all the more because it's never an irresponsible jab. Even when Buzz makes fun of themself, it's playful. I first saw Buzz's video at the Mix NYC Experimental Film Festival. At the time, I saw uh, Religious Beliefs, which is a video about a pop culture savvy Anne Frank being obsessed with Justin Bieber, much like any other contemporary teenager. It was a very tender reimagining of Anne Frank's adolescence. One year later, after an exhibition at the Los Ojos Gallery in Brooklyn, I saw another video Buzz made about the role that our clothing plays in how we shape our self-esteem and self-perceptions. In November of 2016, we had this conversation in Buzz's studio. But going off of TV, I really want to know what the role of TV in your life has been. Yeah. Speaking of, like... High culture and low culture.
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, what kinds of culture we were around at different times in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I grew up in New Jersey and spent a lot of time watching TV with my brother. And, like, sometimes our dad would come home and he'd be like, hello, and we would just be, like, staring at the TV. And he felt kind of like... You know, when he... I think... He he always talks about like, or my mom always talks about when when my parents imagine having children. He kind of imagined like, you know, him getting home and us being like, "Daddy, Daddy, hello," <laughs> and he would just be like, "Oh my God, they're not even paying attention to me." Um, so that was definitely a big part of my childhood. Which is not to say I didn't, you know, I, I was always drawing, especially if you know, my parents had to take me somewhere and they had to like set me up with an activity. It was always Mr. Sketch markers and Mm -hmm. they always had different smells to them. So Mm -hmm. drawing was always this like really sensual experience. And, um, I always wanted to be like, I don't know. I I started getting attention for it pretty early on. And so I always wanted to be like the best, you know, it's always disappointing. You know, you can't always Mm -hmm. be the best. Which mm-hmm. is fine. I think I let go of <laughs> Which that. Which is preferable. Yeah. I don't want to... Yeah, it's not as important to me now. But anyway, what, how did I... Oh, yeah, but I watched a lot, a lot, a lot of MTV. Oh, like, my brother yeah. kind of stopped watching as much TV, and then it became, like, my personal thing. And I watched just so many music videos. Uh, I started watching a lot of MTV and VH1 when they were still actually playing music videos. Yeah, yeah. And then, mm. and they also had like Celebrity Deathmatch and Daria. Like that was kind of my era in like the okay. late 90s. Okay. Because um, I was born in 88. So by the time I was like 10, I was like allowed, you know, I was like allowed to watch MTV. Oh. But, um, so yeah, I think that the the kind of idea of like a short video was really drilled into me just oh, from I the see. repetition of that. Interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, this was like a post thriller era where there could be narrative.
0: Right. It wasn't <laughs>
1: mandatory. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm teaching video editing now and I'm, I, I, w- a lot of my students want to make a music video for their final project. And so I was trying to think of, you know, videos to show them, like, music videos to show them, and I, I couldn't decide on, like, there's so many videos where it's just, like, different mm. shots of the band singing and performing, or something weird, like, the in the 90s, so many music videos, like, there would just be, like, weird things happening, like, mm. people in outfits wandering around a weird set
0: mm. with,
1: like, a weird filter on the, you know, it was just, like, like, I'm thinking about, um, oh, what is that band? Like, Nine Inch Nails, or, I don't know, like... Or not Nine Inch Nails. I don't
0: know what, what they even look like. Just
1: like, I don't know, just, I'm just thinking about a lot of, like, rock videos. Oh,
0: rock videos.
1: Or, like, alternative rock. You know what I mean?
0: I don't know the band, but I remember seeing a video Maybe of not people Inch skateboarding Inch in a empty pool. Yeah. And being really confused. I don't know.
1: There's just a lot uh, of weird things that happened in the 90s. And so... And But then, you know, there are the videos that have more of a story to them. But they're never quite, like, an actual story. Like, I think Thriller is the best example of, like, that's a real story.
0: Well, that's like a mega... That's
1: like a mega story. Yeah. And I think that that music videos were forever changed after that. And anyway, so when I started... So I... Blah, blah, blah. I'm moving on <laughs> in my life story. I started... Um, I was mostly into drawing and painting like, in high school, and then, um, the most, like, contemporary art type of pedagogy teacher that was available in my undergrad was named Janine Olson. She taught a sculpture class, and I took her class for two years straight. It was, like, big, big, like, you know, one-third of what I did in college, basically. And, um, like, part of the class, one of the assignments we had is we had to pick a film and respond to it with a mm. piece and it didn't have to be a sculpture. And so I decided to make a TV show mm. that was of my two selves. Like so I was born in Kansas City. Okay. And um I we my family moved to New Jersey when I was less than a year old. And so my joke to myself has always been that they could be lying to me and I wouldn't know. Like I have no, I have no memory of this. And so, um, I had this idea, which was that I would create a fictional narrative where my, so like if, if there was like a rupture in the fabric of space and time, and there was one me that grew up in Kansas city and one me that, or in Overland park, Kansas, and one me that grew up in New Jersey that they would then meet on this TV, on this, you know, talk show in a kind of, like, Jerry Springer kind of way, but maybe a little less, the energy was a little different. And so I, in a really not advanced way, had my two different selves. It wasn't, I didn't use any fancy editing techniques. It was just move the camera over. It didn't, you know. Right, right, right. Um, But, and I had, for some reason, my impulse was to have them both sing songs. Like, it was, even though it was a talk show, like, it had a little bit of a music video aspect to it, because there was a lot of lip syncing. And, um... And so yeah, that was my first video. And and then I started making a I did make a few music videos and I had a lot of fun doing that. And I mean it was like a brief time. And then from there, um some of my videos have been longer than that kind of length. Hmm. Like some of them have been more like like I think that Anne Frank Justin Bieber video was like eight minutes or something. It oh, was eight minutes. And that was a short I rem- length. I can't right? remember that was its full
0: length, it wasn't... Yeah,
1: there were three sections. I can't remember exactly. I have to check back. But, yeah, I think my longest video in college was, like, six minutes, which is still pretty long. So yeah, that is. I tr- I don't know. I think I get a little bit long sometimes. Like, I think Clothes Feelings was eight minutes, um, which was the film I made this past summer.
0: Which I loved, yes.
1: Thank you. Should we talk about it? We can. Great. Um... So, anyway, I, I move around between mediums. I I still make sculptures and mm. drawings. I don't do painting as much anymore, although I, I'm kind of curious about going back to it mm. since I have a lot of experience in it. I don't know. There's such an impulse against painting in areas of the art world. I think people right are. Now? Yeah, yeah, I think people are really suspicious of it in academia. It's so loaded. And I think, it's so loaded. Unfortunately, it can't just be. It's so market influenced. Yeah,
0: and it, it's also so loaded in terms of art history. Art history, and I feel like people can't look at paintings for paintings in the same way that we look at photographs for photographs or videos for videos. Yeah. Um, for some reason, painting. Maybe it's just because it's an, it's an older medium, so it has a larger.
1: Yeah. Like, there's. You can get kind of
0: with, into
1: religious imagery by accident. You can. Yeah. There's just so many tropes that you can fall into accidentally. Right, right. Whereas in video there's still a lot that hasn't been done. Like, you know, my students are, they pretty much, most of them live on Staten Island. And I showed them an experimental video as an example of, Hmm. just to show them one way to use. What did you show? I showed um, a friend of mine, Shireen Ahmed. okay. She had made a video, I, I was her TA at Parsons and she had made a video for this experimental video class that had all these bubbles that were moving around the screen. Mm-hmm. And it was using the animation technique that I was teaching them, which is why I was showing oh, it to okay. them. But they were like, what the hell is this? Because it was just so abstract. They were like... I, th- I think that they like to be entertained. Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of them, that's really important. And they don't hmm. necessarily have as much of a context for the way that video is a critique of television. Mm-hmm. Last semester I had shown them like a Nam June Pike Merce Cunningham mm-hmm. video and I think they started to kind of understand um where experimental video is coming from. And so then I was able to show them more like weird things, but this semester I haven't really been I that mm-hmm. that hasn't been the case. And so they're kind of like you know if I show them Maya Deren they're like but it's silent, and it's in black and white. Like That's like, all they focus yeah. on. Right.
0: But the camera movement of Maya Darren is really spectacular. It's so amazing. Especially the one about the... I forget the name. The one about the dancer, where it's like one continuous. Oh my and, god, you know I haven't thing? seen that
1: one. It's I showed them at amazing. Land. Oh yeah. With the chess piece. I actually
0: really like Maya Darren. I love Maya Darren. I really, really do. And I
1: really identify with her. She has this big curly hair, and she's this, like, Russian <laughs> yeah. Jew, and I'm like, yes, because <laughs> I'm a Russian Jew, and I have curly
0: hair. Yeah. I, I identify with her as being someone who's an immigrant, and who's kind of yeah. working in a male-dominated totally. field. And so How did she end up in such an important position? Well, at that time, nobody really cared about experimental totally. video, and usually when that happens, I'm going to say women, but it could also be people of color. Like, sure. basically, people have access to tools... And to practices and methods, as long as they're not being paid attention to by a market force or... You think that people force. have
1: more access if they're not in the what visible? What I'm trying to say
0: is that, okay, so I'll, I'll rephrase what I'm saying. Um, uh, both in photography and in film, women, mm-hmm. like, turn of the century, a ton of women photographers. By the 50s, and eh, 70s, eh, art photography, okay, now it's a big deal, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Film
0: beginning of film mm-hmm. a lot of women editors yes right
1: yes early well it was considered more like a menial task right they didn't see the creative but also
0: film wasn't power. yet considered like totally
1: a, an industry depending. that's true before that's true. things
0: become these heav- heavily profitable industries yeah and nobody's paying attention right them, right then women have all this creativity women right because there's more stuff. space and i think maya darren that, that's already in a post-hollywood time frame yeah the experimental world wasn't really valued as far as i know totally yeah, I mean, even with um, she has another Russian emigre, mm. Marie Menken. Have mm. you heard of, of Marie? Maybe beautiful stuff, blurry garden shots, Ooh. but they're like along Brooklyn Heights. But they're actually really beautiful. And people, I've heard people describe them as disorienting. I find mm-hmm. them very soothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're definitely jittery. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the most friendly relationship for mm-hmm. some reason, but they knew of. It. They shared a sound person. They shared a sound mm. person. Nobody was paying attention to experimental films. Yeah. Everything was sort of like Hollywood bonanzas and right, all this stuff. So yeah. I also think she's very hard-headed. Yeah. You know, and driven, which yeah. I think helped.
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. What do you think the state of experimental film is today?
0: I don't think it's possible
1: for me to know. I okay. think
0: there's a lot of stuff going on that we haven't even heard about yet
1: i agree like, i think experimental um, film is the kind of thing that is so esoteric even to itself mm. and i don't know i mean maybe part of it is that i don't well it's like if there's not funding to like fly people out to these film festivals even mm. if they're showing in them then they're not going to see what the other people are making
0: right which is like, my case I yeah at six film festivals this year uh-huh
1: literally wow
0: and I have not I, I did not go to any of them because I couldn't afford to take a time off yeah. I couldn't afford to not be working making money spending money somewhere right. like, it was just like like
1: like I think uh, narrative film uh, because there's so much money involved, they're able to all make connections mm-hmm. with each other right in a way that experimental film and even, even artists aren't, mm-hmm. like visual artists. Aren't able to.
0: Yeah. My big worry about experimental film is that it becomes a cliche of itself in a way that becomes embroiled in this respectability. Right. Politics. Uh, wave of, like, more erasure, right? Yeah. So that bothers me because I th- it has been a place where people can just be expressive. Yeah. And I want that to continue. Yeah. But I also think, wh- what does being expressive really mean uh-huh. if we are... If we are documenting and documented at all times, mm-hmm. I think the needs yeah. start to change. It I think does. our needs to express change, and it may not be about video anymore. Yeah. Because that relationship is more about the is internet. It's already there. Or it is, maybe it's about um, silence. Maybe it's about music. Totally, Maybe totally. it's about something that's not dependent on something that has be- felt like
1: surveillance. Right, right. I'm
0: just thinking out loud, and I, I love it that you're asking me these things.
1: Like, I think a lot about the late-night cable access shows that people used to make. Yeah. And they were so free, and there was so much, like, queerness and drug culture that they were able to show in the air, because people just weren't really see like, they, it wasn't being surveilled in that way. Right. They weren't doing that on Snapchat. Right. So they were able to have these, like, longer-form narratives, or non-narratives, or right. whatever. Just Documents. Space. Yeah. yeah. Also, the material is so different of using VHS, even though the editing process is more
0: cumbersome. Um,
1: cumbersome. I think there's something about hard drives that I just hate. And so it makes me not want to make long things. Yeah. I don't know if that's silly, but I, I kind of wish that I had a more stable format that was like a physical object hmm. that I could work with. Even with, but with also an editing program that's like you know what non-destructive do you use? nonlinear do you use I do use Premiere and I teach Premiere The way I learned to edit was just sitting next to people in the computer lab in school and just like asking them how to do things well, That's awesome. I did it and really like now that I now that I'm teaching and I know all the different what all the buttons mm-hmm. mean and and really how it, like an editing workflow should go Mhm. It's like, I look back on that, and I'm like, what a waste of my time. Oh, yeah. Like, I was just drag clips everywhere in the timeline, and it was like, it was so disorganized. That's so funny. But, you know, I would sit there and laugh, because I was, like, I really was making videos to make myself laugh, I think.
0: Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because you cause have like, a relationship to humor. Yeah, like. and
1: I think that it was the first time I really was able to use comic timing. Like, I've always been a person that makes jokes my whole life. Because I wanted to kind of keep up with my dad at the dinner table as far as jokes. Oh. Like, I kind of started... Like, I, like when I learned to talk, I started making jokes, I think. Because I was like, oh, this is fun. I get to, like, get attention and laughter. Fr- like, and my mom would always laugh at my jokes. It was very nice. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is, like, a way to, like, combine my funniness with my art. And I think it was funny. It was whenever I would show my videos to my class... After I was done, I would be the main person laughing still.
0: Well, humor comes across in your work ridiculously well.
1: Thank you. So, I thank you... It's so fun to make people laugh. It's just never going to get old.
0: That's awesome. And you know what? I have to say, that's something I envy, because people... Friends who have known me for a long time Mm -hmm. are always like... You know, you, you say really wacky things, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really come across in your work. And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't see a place for them. But I haven't found a way to like really integrate that mm-hmm. with certain things that I do.
1: I just think it's so fun for a group of people to... I mean, whether it's like a late night talk show, or it, it's a mixed queer film festival. Mm. It's just so fun for a group of people to make fun of terrible things that are happening to them. For me, like, I definitely feel like it's linked to Jewish history and the fact that, like, Jews have always used humor to survive the, all the horrible things that have happened to us over thousands of years. But I guess, I mean, it's definitely also a queer thing.
0: Are you very aware of that in your consciousness when you're making work? Or does it just happen? I think it's just an
1: impulse. I came up with Michel Foucault, like, while I was falling asleep. And then I just started laughing. The Tumblr. Yeah, right. it you know, the Michel Foucault quotes with Michelle Tanner from Full House. Right. You know, it was just something to kind of, like, warm myself. And I kept it a secret. I didn't sh- tell anyone about it for a little while, and I would just laugh myself to sleep sometimes. <laughs> like, I would just, I would be, like, having a normal time. I'd be like, oh... You know, if have to do this tomorrow. I'm stressed out about this. I really care about this person. This is happening. This relationship, and then I'd be like Michelle Bucat, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just something that would make me feel relaxed. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know you're a Tumblr, mm-hmm. but I've never seen the show.
1: The show. Oh, the Full House show. so part right. of the joke is that yeah. on Full House, that it's character, an Olsen twin. the Olsen, it's yeah, both of them. It's both they of them. They would switch. That's why they. I think that's why they were casted is because. They could switch them. The whole point of her character was to kind of add this comic relief that mm. she was this precocious little girl and that she was always saying things like, cool dude, and like, <laughs> or you know, I don't, she had these little taglines. You see this little girl saying these really insightful things, but in a kind of, it's kind of sassy. Got it. And um, I think a lot of my work actually yeah. has that vibe to it. Like, <laughs> because i've had i've i've like even before that pe- that project i've done videos where i was like playing a little girl that had you know something to say about adults mhm
0: mhm
1: so maybe there's something there about my childhood i don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were you were paying attention i
1: was yeah Anyway, but I do think that Behind the Music had a huge impact on me. I've been watching it a lot behind lately. Behind the Music. Like, the VH1 show. It was, like, the biographies of oh, the different yes. rock musicians and stuff. Yeah. And the inside scoop. Yeah. But but not even necessarily that inside, but just kind of, like... Like, I've, I've always loved biography
0: mm-hmm. and memoir. I too. And that
1: was a nice thing to have access to. I never watched TV as a child,
0: except for news and, like, Mm -hmm. brutal news. Like, the Mm -hmm. War of Lebanon was going on. Oh, God. And, you know, media coverage on TV is not as cleaned up as it is here. So I would see, like, gruesome things. My mom would say, ah, look away, sit here. So we your back to the TV. So sometimes we'd have to sit with our backs to the TV. Oh, my God. During the news, because my mom was horrified by the imagery. But in terms of, like, not that, um, I grew up watching MTV Europe. It was just on Sundays Uh, for, like, an hour. Oh, my God. There was MTV Europe, and it was Adam Curry. And I remember looking at this person with a male voice but a girl haircut, and I was sort of like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't really... I thought this was what urbanity was. Mm. Like, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I just thought, oh, this is urban. Like, or this is... Because I grew up 20 minutes outside of Lisbon. Yeah. So we would go to Lisbon for everything where things were much cheaper. I was like, oh, yeah, this is urban. Because, like, I see people on the bus with those... Jacket, actually a jacket, much like the one I'm wearing, but mm. um, like those jackets, jackets and um, jeans, you know. Yeah. And so MTV Europe was basically Adam Curry introducing, and I don't remember if he was American or British, to be honest with you. There was a lot of like British TV. It was just like a, a video show, so he would say, "Oh, um, these are the top ten videos." Right. On MTV Europe. Totally. MTV totally. So that's where I first saw. I remember seeing an interview. with it was Don like TRL. TRL, I don't even know Total Request called. Live. I've never seen Carson that. Carson Daly. I remember seeing an, uh, seeing an interview with Don Letts, mm-hmm. who was at the time part of The Clash. Mm. And I remember being like, oh, I hear that song on the radio all the time. That's what they look like. Wow. And being like, wow. Like, wow, they look like... I just had no idea that yeah. people could look so everyday or something. Yeah. Uh, like, I would expect them to be, like, dressed up or something. But they yeah. were, like, in t-shirts and ripped jeans and all this stuff. That, right. Um, so I watched that, that was basically it. Most of the time I had all male cousins. So I would be like running around, climbing trees and, and like playing hide and seek and just like playing and being really physical and, and like not really thinking about anything else. <laughs> yeah. T V was like the the least interesting thing. Nothing was as fun as moving around. But I think that's why right now I really enjoy looking at a screen. Is because uh. the relationship that I have to it is reflective of something that I'm thinking about rather than having an experience of, like, seeing it when I was younger and mm-hmm. developing through it. I'm developing my thoughts now through mm-hmm, it rather mm-hmm. than before. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. I don't think it's better or worse. Do you think it would be the artist that you are? Maybe this is... When I was, like like,
1: am I... Like, do I... Like... Was, I, was this the goal?
0: No, no, no. But do you think that TV, like, really... Oh. And the reason why she I should... ask is because, um... The sense of narrative, right, yeah. and the episodic nature of some of what I've seen from you, yeah. If like that has given you Wait, permission, which, so
1: like the like the Anne Frank and Justin Bieber one, or
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and even the clothes piece, yeah, clothes
1: feelings, and even Michelle Foucault was, I mean, it was serial for right, sure,
0: right. If that has somehow shaped you as, or if if watching that yeah, format gave for you sure. permission to create. Art of any form that has this kind of timing to
1: it. Or yeah, this kind of I mean
0: organization.
1: I don't know that I really saw the influence of TV on my work until. Well, actually, maybe not because I do remember having an impulse when I was like studying. I was I studied drawing very intensely as a teenager, and I remember, um, I would sometimes do drawings from magazines and. My t- and I showed them to my teacher, because I'd done them outside of class, so I wanted to show him. And he was, like, he was kind of mad that I had m- worked from images. Like, he really wanted me to work from... From life. From life. And because I think... And I think that there's something valid about that, because it forces you to, um, you know, figure out how close you want to sit to the object. Or, you know, mm. how to compose the image. And it, you know, it forces you to make more decisions instead of relying on the photographer for those decisions. Mm -hmm. But I definitely rebelled against that. You know, I've, a lot of my work has, I think actually most of my drawings have been either a combination of images or, like, I think, I mean, I've I've had life drawing projects that I've done, but I think my work has kind of gotten more interesting when I've been working from images. And I think that's not unrelated to TV. I think that Mm -hmm. so much of my work is about responding to mass culture mm,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: kind of reframing it
0: yeah,
1: and adding my own like hand subjectivity right, right. to it.
0: I can relate to that entirely. Yeah. So should we move? Oh, on? actually I
1: have drawn from TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like I used to, um, sometimes put in like VHSs and then keep pausing it at different times and then do different mm-hmm. squares in a drawing based on each frame, that's one of my favorite things to do. That's very cool. Yeah, and then and then the lines become part of the like VHS interpolation thing.
0: Right, right. I am really curious about those wood pieces that I saw. Oh yeah,
1: we haven't really talked about that.
0: Yeah, and making new uniforms. I was really. You... Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Think... So you... let's
1: talk about clothes feelings. Let's do it. When I screened Clothes Feelings, there was a Q and A, and someone. I was there. Yeah, and someone asked about, I don't know if you remember this, about the fact that clothes feelings was so colorful. Okay. Well, I want to talk about what it is, though, for people that don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a... It's a video. It's a short video. It's like eight minutes, I think, about my experience with clothing throughout my life. And so it's these short anecdotes, and they're all illustrated with ink pens, uh, mostly very colorful pens, and... um the structure of the film is an animatic which is, it's sort of like um, traditionally when a production is in pre-production and they're, they made a, they've already made a storyboard and they want to experiment with what the storyboard will look like as a moving image and so they'll just kind of scan in each of the frames of the storyboard and, and record with voiceover to kind of test it out. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of, it's not quite animation because it's not really invested in the illusion of movement. It's not like a stop motion or, or anything like that. It's it's just more still images with voiceover. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a lot of what my films are now. Now that they're not that's really so about TV and, <laughs> and making these little Anyway, the Close Feelings was about kind of looking at these archives of my life and these pictures from my life and kind of in this kind of um matter of fact funny way explaining what the hell was going on with my gender at the time and what I was thinking about and like who I was trying to look like or whatever. Yeah, so so what, yeah, obviously both of the bodies of work that I showed in for this exhibition were drawing based, yet mm-hmm. one of them was really somber and re- was reflecting on all this loss of this violence against trans people and the violence of dating apps and a little bit of love and sex. For the most part, it was yeah, it was a little it wasn't funny, it wasn't mm-hmm. time based, didn't have that kind of laugh track to it.
0: Um clothes feelings? It was kinda of funny.
1: No, I was talking about the wood. Oh the wood
0: pieces. Oh no, 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 those weren't
1: funny. At all. those weren't funny at all. They were yeah. they were monochrome. Yeah. It was it was more about like feeling burned in a way. Hmm. And then clothes feelings was about I was like this and now I'm like this and I figured that out because of this person. <laughs> And I really like that sweater. <laughs> and I really like that sweater. And here's the way I'm performing myself really mm-hmm. intentionally every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I realized we're all just making new uniforms. Yeah. And I thought that was like, yeah. Like, I really liked yeah. how that was deployed. And I'm using you. that word. I love
1: the word deployed. I
0: do too. It's so good. It is good. But I liked how that made itself known.
1: I feel like that aspect of queer conformity is such an important Mm. thing that I've taken into consideration because I think when you come out as queer, I've also dealt with this because my brother's also trans and I think, you know, sometimes even though we used to, you know, wear we had, sometimes we would have the same clothes in different colors or, you know, whatever when we were kids or, you know, we were the girls. We had this, Mm. we were like very much like kind of twins of different ages. Mm. But now that when, after I came out as trans, I, you know, developed a look, and then one time we were trying to go to a party together, and I, you know, I would always wear, like, one long earring and one stud, mm. and, like, a button-up with a collar that was kind of loose, and my brother, and sometimes I would mascara my mustache, too, to make it a little bushier, and my, when we were getting ready to go to this party, my brother put in a long earring and mm. a collared shirt that had been one of our, you know, our grandpa's shirts. He passed away right as at the time we were coming out, and he was very small, so we got to wear a lot of his clothes. That he, it was, like, a really helpful, actually, clothing mm. addition for our wardrobes. Not that, you know, we were upset that he died, obviously. Mm-hmm, we really mm-hmm, miss him. Yes, but, it's but it's it's nice to be able to wear someone's clothing as a way to remember them. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, so we kind of put on the same outfit, and I was like, fuck you, I dress like this every day. And here you are just putting it on. Like, it, it offended my sense of individualism. Mm. And because I think that that's something that I started... I don't know like when like when coming out as trans you start feeling like I'm a special snowflake and nobody mm-hmm. has the same gender as me but yet you're learning how to be trans from other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or I was not well, everybody in does to- in relation to other people even if it's like I'm different than you I'm the same as yeah. you I identify with you I'm gonna wear a flannel mm-hmm. um that was a big thing that I dealt with that year and it's taken me a while to recognize that even if I wear a long earring and a short earring, and so does somebody else, like mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's <laughs> there's like a self formation that happens mm-hmm. after you claim a new identity and and I think it's always changing, right, because that the year that 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 picture was taken, the one that I drew from where the with all the three people with the bow ties, oh yeah, I think it was two thousand twelve, and that was kind of a big moment where a lot of gender queer identified people that were like female assigned to birth and like wearing a lot of button-ups and had short on the sides and long on top haircuts
0: and, and bow ties
1: and boat there was the bow ties and right. I think that a lot of us really desired a way to go to formal events that represented a layeredness of gender identity and bow ties come from male, you know, male styles of dress, but they are bows. They're very feminine in a way. And so that was exciting for people, and it was an easy strategy to communicate our genders, but it was so unanimous. And I think a lot of people realized that it kind of was also about class in weird ways. Right. And also, like, there's a doubling of class because it's, like, this, like, black tie formal tuxedo vibe, but then it's also, like, a server you know, like, if you right. wear, like, a black shirt with a black tie, or a white shirt with white a black tie, thing. then people don't want to look like they're... Working in a restaurant. Working in a restaurant, yeah. and that's, I think that's, you know, complicated for people to navigate, so, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what to say about that, but, which is, it's just, just to say that, you know, clothing is so is so loaded, and... There's so much to take into consideration when, you know, putting mm-hmm. together a, a an identity and presenting it to the mm. world. Yeah. You don't always know how people are gonna read you if you're if you feel like you're dressing authentically. Right. What is authentic? You can't Right. There's no there's no way to have an authentic self, especially when someone else designed it. I don't I just I've gone through periods where I really did not I, I really didn't believe in, in the existence of an authentic self. I, I feel that way. But then it's like, when I try to... If someone's like, but how do you know you're trans?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: You know? There's like... there's yeah. there, It is in there. Right, right. But I don't think that it's solid. I think it's a little bit more amorphous.
0: But I don't think that's a performative thing.
1: It's not. Right?
0: So I think that's different. It's also like... I don't think... I think authenticity... I don't know how to say it. But I think there's something about visuality mm-hmm. that has a relationship to authenticity that is and should never be stable but like our internal relations are far more um
1: like malleable
0: malleable but also like that's where authenticity resides
1: yeah right it it rides inside but when it becomes exposed to oxygen it's like kind of perverted by social
0: by society right by the reading but also
1: what is identity if not the relation between the individual and the society like, you can't yes. be a person in a vacuum.
0: No, not at all. And I think that relationship n- n- is not necessarily always... Um, it's always a defining one, even if it's an anti-one. Even if it's a relationship that is in, in opposition to... Yeah, right?
1: totally. It's just, there's no, there's no answer. It's infinitely complex, I think. Thank you for listening. We hope that you'll join
0: us next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Rad encounter. that's R-A-D-Encounter. Radical Encounter is a digital humanities project by The Open. Our theme song was composed by DJ Tika Masala.